Welcome to Adversarial Learning. here. Welcome to another episode. Uh, I hope you like the theme music. That's uh, one of my favorite ones so far. It's also the last one I have uh, recorded, so I better get to composing this weekend. we got a great episode for you today. Our guest is going to be Trevor Grant, who is an open source analytics technology evangelist. I think that's all the, the buzzwords uh, at IBM, and he will be here shortly to talk with us. Um, just your usual logistics reminders. Uh, you can find our podcast online at adversariallearning.com. Uh, if you're listening now, you've probably already found it. But we're also on iTunes and Stitcher and whatever other search engines for podcasts you use. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at adversarial underscore L. And if you'd like to drop us a mail, uh, that address is adversarial.learning.podcast at gmail.com. So those are all the different ways you can get in touch with us and stay in touch with us. If you have any ideas for the podcast, questions about the podcast, questions about me or Andrew, that's how you can contact us. And now it is time for the episode. Hi, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for joining. Uh, today we have a guest, uh, Trevor Grant. He is at IBM, evangelist uh, for technology and open source. Uh, Trevor, can you tell our listeners about yourself? Yeah, I'm. My name's Trevor Grant. I'm an open source technology, an open source technology evangelist, an open source analytics technology evangelist. <laughs> it's a lot of words at you IBM. Words and in, I don't yeah. think that one's right. Um, at <laughs> IBM and. Uh, <laughs> PMC on the uh, Apache Mahu project used to be a data scientist or call myself such. Um, I run a couple meetups here in town, including the Veterans and Big Data, and that's for like military veterans. Yeah, you can be a big data veteran too, but it's kind of an outreach community. <laughs> so it's that's every- Chicago. Yeah, it's in Chicago. Yeah. I'm out of Chicago, so that's uh, the short version of me. And, and, and I have a blog. You blog? Yeah, you do. I'm a blogger. <laughs> Nice. Well, what, what does it mean to be an open source analytics technology evangelist? It means that I get a pretty long leash to do things that I enjoy doing. And um, I try to get people excited about working with open source, which is fun because I do that naturally. Um, I kind of stumbled into the job. There was a guy, Chris Fregley. I don't know if you ever ran across him. He's kind of big yeah. on different scenes. I think I and, met him the same day I met you oh, up in Vancouver. Oh, OK. Yeah. Um, I he did a meetup talk for the Spark meetup, I think in April last year, and we we're having beers afterwards. And I'm like, oh yeah, so like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm at IBM, and he was telling me about like, you know, I just give around, I give meetups, I, I get people excited about working with open source, I mess with this and that, and I'm like, that sounds like you're you're just getting paid to do all my hobbies. That sounds amazing. <laughs> so um, the company I was working for um, was an on-prem. It was basically Kroger's on-prem cloud. And they got absorbed, and um, I, I just I, I was it was a natural breakpoint because they were reorganizing everything to at least 
pop my head up and take a look around. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't really like scrambling trying to find anything. Well, all of a sudden at another meetup, um, I met some folks from IBM and apparently they were hiring that job that Fregley used to have. And I'm yeah. like, well, that, that, that works. I'll get paid to do my hobbies. I, yeah. I can do what are some of your tricks to get people excited about open source? Um, like to pump them up, do you have like cheers or? I'm a I'm a very engaging public speaker in my own biased opinion. And I base that on, I am not the best engineer that you will ever hear talk or particularly clever about any specific thing, but I give really engaging talks. You're very and high energy, yeah. Like I I, <laughs> that's something I, I admire. I like, when, uh, you and I did a talk together and it was like, you know, you, you're a lot more fun to listen to. And then I get up and I just sort of drone through my part. And I was like, I, I need to work on my delivery. So what, what's the, what's a good trick to being high energy in talks? I give a lot of talks and I worry that I'm not high enough energy in them. So the short version is, all right, this is, is going to lead into a story though. Um, That's fine. I, my first job at a college was, or at a grad school, I guess, was I was working at um, uh, Mindshare. It's a big media strategy company, and I was I was a, technically a senior anal, senior associate of modeling analytics. And I walked in my first day I'm like that's a stupid. Why are title. your titles always so long? I know. Well, so I go into my boss. I'm like, uh, can I just call myself a data scientist? And this is like 2012, 2013. The the term hadn't been abused so much yet. Sure. And so he's like, yeah, so you should do that. And so sure, and I I put that on my business cards and. No one really knew what to do with me at that point. But, um, you know, so media and marketing is a lot of, I mean, the the pitch, it spoiled me listening to pitches, um, like in advertising, because everything's in the pitch. And like, you know, I, I hang out at like a company since then, you know, there's some maybe prep for a meeting a little bit, a couple phone calls. In media agencies, they would lock themselves in hotel rooms for like the weekend practicing and practicing and scripting and scripting only to make it seem like they were all just kind of having fun and off the cuff but it was this very carefully like rehearsed thing and i noticed that is like you have like maybe um like assistant directors getting ready to move into that director role where they were going to have to start being in meetings and pitches that if they didn't have good public speaking a lot of times what they would do they'd be encouraged to and they or they would do on their own is they'd go off and take improv classes and Mm -hmm. improv is like that's you know you start building up your confidence to say things to speak up and so i kind of took that and back pocketed it and then about a year and a half ago i just started taking improv classes and that um i mean a it helps to actually care about the thing you're talking about that's always a bonus but as far as like the actual speaking part of it i would say yeah if you need like some tricks or trying to figure out i mean there's a million public speaking classes but i'd recommend uh going to improv classes and it makes you uh it, it, yeah, it kind of gets you out there feeling fun. Yeah. It, it's funny because about, God, it's probably like seven or eight years ago, um, I started taking improv classes uh, yeah. largely for those reasons, um, you know, just to be more comfortable and outgoing in social situations um, mm-hmm. and, and learn to be a better speaker and things like that. And I, I'd say I stuck with it for about a year, year and a half. Um, and throughout that year, year and a half, I never stopped dreading being on stage. <laughs> and like at the end of a year and a half, I would go out to a performance and I was like, I'm dreading this. And at some point I was like, you know, uh, if I haven't stopped dreading this after a year and a half, I'm probably never going to stop dreading it. Yeah. So I just, uh, I, I quit and I turned my attention to writing. Fair enough. Well, yeah, I mean, the, at a certain point, your stage fright just needs to become like the thing that energizes you, right? So 
you need to you need to be a little nervous and then get up and i mean i've had i've had some real flops on stage i had uh my first time speaking uh was in undergrad and i i was underprepared you know that so the the cardinal sin of speaking is not understanding what you're going to be talking about so the night before i was going through the slides it was a mathematica notebook changing things getting things together and i had um I had prof- profuse sweating of the feet, and uh, to the point where I I was <laughs> I wore flip flops up up to the podium. So, uh, but <laughs> since then I made sure that when I when I'm given a speech, I I know what uh, I'm talking about. Oh, it's oh, funny. So I, I don't. So you I prepare don't get, for speeches? Oh, sorry. Uh, go ahead. You so you prepare you you prepare for your speeches like have notes and like. I, and I like exactly what you're going to talk about or I don't I don't anymore what okay. I do now is just make sure that like if that that every time I see the next slide that I know you know the 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 portion of the story that's that's coming next got it yeah I prepare like hell for my talk so interestingly I don't get stage fright for like conference presentations or talks or things like that only for like improv but I prepare <laughs> like I prepare like hell for my talks because my talks are they're mostly opportunities to make jokes, right? And jokes <laughs> depend on timing. And so okay. I got to have the timing down if I want to make the jokes hit right. So I have to practice that to get the timing right. I am the opposite. I am usually the time I am giving my conference talk is about the first time I've gone through it out loud from front to back. Wow. Uh, I, and if, and so if anything, maybe I'll try to do a couple meetups and like, do a dry run first time, but mm-hmm. I, yeah. Uh, I mean, well, so do you guys have 4-H? Do you guys are familiar with the 4-H program? Sure. I remember it from high school, but I haven't thought about it since. So my mom was the local 4-H coordinator, like, like it's like a paid job. She like ran it for the county or whatever. So like we, my sister and I like had our arms twisted in that we had to do 4-H projects. Sure. And I did uh, computer programming and improv speaking because you had to do two. So... I it was like it was like a speech. They'd give you a topic, and then you'd have like five minutes to prepare, and then you had to come up with you know a, a high school style beginning, three supporting points, conclusion type of speech. And uh, I I slated in that. I was could have gone to state, but I I used my computer programming instead. Mm-hmm. But um, it was I and I and I've just never and when all that came from taking high school speech class, I never prepared for any of my speeches. Wow. So. Uh, because I was lazy, not because I was a very bad student, not because I'm an impressive person. I'm a very bad student. I would, yeah, I all would, my speeches are improv. That's pretty good though. I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe the, the festive sweater you were wearing really carried the, oh, carried props the, help. <laughs> props do not hurt. The key is that we have the high energy in the props. And so people are like, man, that was really entertaining to listen to. You don't want people going back and really dissecting what you talked about. And, right. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it high level. Yep. Yep, so, yep. so something random, but you mentioned that you used to work on Kroger's on-premise cloud. Effectively, I don't think that's that's not exactly what they called it, but that was for all intents and purposes. And that's Kroger, like the supermarket. Yes, and like the whole chain. Well, why do they have an on-premise cloud? Uh, as opposed to a mainframe. So basically, they don't want to use AWS, so they just run their own cloud. Is that the idea? Uh- uh yeah, yeah strategic decisions of exactly how and why Kroger does the things that they do were kind of beyond me but in in general um yes they had um, so it's for like supply chain and yeah and so we were operations. like operations yeah. uh 8451 um which was Dunhumby 
does all their like um, customer data and it was you know there's however many supermarkets and each one has however many products and each day all the products have to you know how many do we have in inventory and how many are sitting in the sh on a truck and how many are in the warehouses and stuff like that and then yeah they've and they didn't i guess they were worried about the aws thing it's interesting you go to the supermarket and you don't think about the supermarket like having a cloud but you know maybe they all right. do well yeah. and cpg like it's weird like cpg was kind of one of the big data because that was a problem grocery stores had to deal with since the 70s so you know the yeah, walmart we have, case and we have a lot of cpg people coming and asking about you know mm -hmm. fixing out-of-stock problems yep out-of-stock that's the one that ever yep and hey, they're for, actually for, for us civilians what is cpg why don't you guess um <laughs> consumer products and goods yeah pretty close is it really yeah packages package goods that's, oh that's right that's right consumer packaged goods i see yeah I don't even know what it means. <laughs> Apparently but not. But they're actually like they're 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 one of the they're one of the more uh, forward-thinking verticals as far as looking for advanced techniques. I mean, they're even we're even talking with with folks uh, in CPG about using video analytics to to detect out of stock on warehouse shelves and look at customer movement through stores and and the whole nine yards. It's pretty. Interesting. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, that's an industry with pretty thin margins, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So anything they can do to automate all that stuff, you know, it's it's appetizing. So uh, tell us about uh, Mahout or Mahout. How is it pronounced? I was pronounced it wrong. So, and Andrew might have a differing opinion, but the, I always listen to however the other person says it, emphatically pronounce it the other way until I get them to pronounce it my way, and then I switch it on them. Oh, that's good. Oh. Uh, that's it, if you look around the website, it will tell you to pronounce it each different way so you can reference the website and you can still be only half right yeah you can get any the, any answer you want to any question yep. online the <laughs> the argument there's arguments uh one is um that the hindi pronunciation is mahavit um the the folks who are from india tend to pronounce it mahout so that's what i do um but a lot of people say mahout um i don't and there is no answer there's actually there was a thread on the dev and user list about it a couple of years ago, and there was no agreement. So uh, I've, I've known Andrew for a few years now, um, and he's like the only person I know who talks about my house. And so I always sort of suspected it was something that he just made up, but apparently not. So we, now we have a guest who uh, also works on it. Well, what is it? Uh, the whole project? Yeah, what is it? It's so um, Apache top-level project. It was the original big data machine learning but the short you know answer is distributed linear algebra um an abstracted distributed linear algebra library you write your linear algebra functions in scala you plug any backend you want flink uh flink spark h2o whatever's um or write your own and the algorithms will move here here wherever and that's the short of it the usefulness of that being depending on exactly which library and distributed engine you're looking at, we'll take Spark, for instance. You know, they have a handful of, air quotes, machine learning algorithms, um, but they're not, it's not extendable. You know, the one, whatever the ones they have that are in there, like, eh, they, they sell it in like it's just like SKLearn, but it's not. Um, it's got some, I mean, it's some interesting stuff, but, and then when you go try to like write your own or like add something to their library, it's a freaking mess. I looked at the code base one time, so I was trying to 
I don't know, do something. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. I'm, I don't want anything to do with this. So um, like, yeah. I need to factorize a giant matrix, and this is going to do it on my Spark cluster? Yep. Is that right? That's right. Yep. And, oh. and not just Spark cluster, but also you know, the, in this new, the release we're cutting right now um, allows you to do direct uh, work direct on the GPU. Um, and I'm not sure if the hybrid CPU and GPU is coming out in this release or in a point release, but the, the goal in the next few months is to be able to just submit you know, a, a command to do a matrix multiplication or uh, do some factorization and have the system figure out what the best backend is to use uh, and then minimize data transfer between the RAM on the GPU and the RAM on the host. Um, so there's the, the, the goal here is just to have like a clean R-like syntax and have the system figure out, depending on the characteristics of the matrices you're working with, what the best way to compute them is. Is this a tool that like data scientists would actually use or is it a tool for people who build tools for data scientists to use? I think, uh, I mean, Trevor, you can you probably I, have a different perspective. Uh, I think it, in practice, is the tool for people who build tools, but clever data scientists. So here's, okay, so then leading into, what do we call a data scientist now? Someone who can put together, it like can issue a command to do a random force and has no idea how or why any of it works, or... That sounds about right, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's, and if that's the case, that's then yeah. the median. <laughs> if that's what we're calling data science now, then yes, it's probably not for your average data I, science. I think a lot of people, and even, you know, even some of the some of the guys on the project who are, you know, doing um, the matrix math stuff all day long, they'll still prototype stuff in R and then prove it out on, on Mahout using the Samsara uh, syntax. Absolutely. Like I'm writing a bunch of pre-canned algorithms to put into Mahout. So there is a little bit more of that. Just pull something off the shelf. But part of the unit test is still write some, write it in R and make sure it's doing more or less what you think it's going to do. And then check it with the Mahout algorithm. Mm -hmm. Just uh, verify. Yeah. And, you know, if you can cross check against another library, too, because every library has its dark corner. So it's always possible that you're going to correct. Try to try to get your reference architecture or line line up with your reference your reference answer and the reference answer is wrong so it's always yep. always yeah. already ran into that we're about four algorithms and yeah, started yeah, running yeah. into that on our it's a lot of fun and so are there tools on top of it that you know data scientists who don't know data science would be able to use it you mean like uh, like a graphical thing or no not even graphical but just like higher level like okay i need to train a model but i don't want to actually factor a matrix or any of that stuff right there just, are, I, yeah, there are, yeah, there, for, for a lot of the jobs, there are sort of like a, you know, built-in uh, holdout, uh, you know, building a holdout set and training your model and then being able to, to confirm results. Um, I, I, I don't think the coverage on that is, is complete. I think it's pretty, pretty spotty, but that, that's the, that would be the idea, yeah. But like to a scikit-learn equivalent kind of? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. So to have, to have at least for the, for, you know, a handful of, of main things that people are going to reach for first have that stuff built in and then you know along the way i mean it's it's a pretty it's a small group so it's you know it's hard to hard to slot features in because uh, everybody does it on their spare time too we're one of the one of the few projects in the space that doesn't have any corporate uh, support so get on that yeah right <laughs> maybe maybe one of maybe one of the supermarkets will uh step up <laughs> yeah I mean, everybody sort of has an implicit understanding that, you know, we're going to spend time on our job doing it. So that is corporate support in its, in its way. 
what's cool. But uh, speaking of what is a real data scientist, there's this thing online these days that I believe is a response to the Australian engineer being asked to answer some programming and CS questions in order to come into the States. That uh, is, I, I think it predates that actually, but. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's, well, it predates it in the sense of the imposter syndrome being something that everybody wants to clamor that they suffer from, right? Oh, no, I think it predates it in the sense that I'm pretty sure the original tweet that that's based on um, happened before the oh, custom Was it the reversing the binary tree or something? No, I mean, it, it only pretty, well, so we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves by not talking yeah, about yeah. what we're talking about. That's um, right. There's this Twitter thing over the last, you know, couple weeks um, you know, hi, my name is Joel, and I've been working as a software developer for, you know, multiple decades, and I still have to Google the difference between an array and a linked list, or, or things like that, um, where people are basically uh, either, I don't know what they're doing, they're some kind of, like, humble brag of, like, I have a great job, even though I'm not good at what I do, or... Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, I, I feel imposter syndrome too, or technical yeah. interviews are broken, or yeah. one of those things. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's that's what we're referring to. Have you seen that, Trevor? I did. I saw it the other day, and then I was trying to come up with a clever thing to say. And have I you done got it yet? Sidetracked. No, I I because Joel did, and he got he got he got shamed raked over the coals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, I I didn't I didn't do it. I made fun of it. That's right. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, so some guy retweeted and said I was an asshole. And someone said you have no sense of humor. Someone said I had no sense of humor. That one hurt. Um, <laughs> asshole, I can take. Yeah. <laughs> so, so someone's like, you should report that guy. I was like, why? Like he called you an asshole. I was like, yeah, he's not wrong. On the internet. <laughs> so what report were... him for telling the truth? No, not gonna what do were... it. Did you have any? Did you have any uh, any ideas that you were workshopping, Trevor, that you you could share? Um, I, oh, that, uh, so I work on a, um, top level Apache project that's all about matrix algebra and I cheated my way through advanced linear algebra in grad school oh, and boy. I, I furiously still am trying to read through I'm like, wait, 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 how does matrix multiplication work? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you still do the thing with your fingers where you slide your left <laughs> finger sideways and your right finger up and down? Oh, that's a good idea. How does that? That sounds like it might help. How does that work? The windshield oh, uh, wiper method. Yeah, that's that, that's how I multiply matrices. Uh, you know, when you multiply a matrix, you you basically dot product a row of the left matrix with the column of the right matrix, right? And oh, so one yeah. way, and so one way to do that is to just you know stick your left finger at the top left corner of the left matrix and stick your right finger at the top right corner of the, of the top left corner of the right matrix, and then you just slide them, and the left finger goes sideways, and the right finger goes down. Then you go back up to the start, and you, you know, you move your next finger, your right finger, one to the right, and then you slide again. Actually, that's, that's how that's how the algorithms actually uh, do the computations. It's not that far off. No, no, it is. But like, I actually move my fingers. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> that's all I learned it way back in the day. Like, There's nothing if, wrong with that. If you were to come to my computer when I was multiplying matrices, you'd just see me like sliding my fingers in the air. Uh -huh. I mean, in the end, it's just it's just plus and times. So it's yeah. exactly. But you're also you're also a contributor on some other projects, right, Trevor? Like Flink and yeah, I have I talk a lot about Flink, and I haven't actually contributed anything for a while. Okay. They were okay. when they were trying to do their ML stuff, I was sort of helping stand that up, and then 
it kind of went by the by. I learned how to program Scala, contributing to Flink ML. Those poor guys. Yeah, yeah. They're they're really yeah. swell dudes. They they really put up with me a lot. Uh-huh. Um, now it's uh, I do talks. I especially I contribute a bit on Zeppelin, um, which I think is Apache Zeppelin, which is also a really really cool project. Uh, and then, hey, so for, uh, for for those of us who are not as uh, intimate with the Apache oh, ecosystem sorry. as you guys, what are Flink and Zeppelin? Flink is a general purpose real distributed um, streaming engine. So where Spark works on big batches, Flink works on big streams is the short answer to that. Um, but Spark does streaming. Oh, yes, quite well. <laughs> um, Spark does very, very small batches. So the the party line that they both have is that Spark, Spark treats a stream like a series of very tiny batches and Flink will t- treat a batch like a finite length stream. If oh. that makes any okay. sense, sure. um, but yeah, somebody at our somebody on our team uh, did a demo for our brown bag on Friday, and um, I'd never even seen it in operation. It's it's pretty pretty handy. So you have a you have a stream of data, whether it's Netcat or uh, Flink or um, Kafka queue pulling mm-hmm. events in or a log or whatever, and, and it'll just keep track of uh, running tally of whatever you want to do. I'm not sure how much aggregates it can do um, or how much windowing it can do. Do you? Spark or Flink? Flink. Flink um, is significantly ahead in the windowing mm-hmm. department. It uh, it has a lot more like robust concepts of windowing. You can window by um, you can window by clock time you can window by like when the event arrived at the computer or the timestamp mm-hmm. um, you can do session windowing you can do sliding windows or you can do windows that like tumble over each other um, yeah. spark bit by bit keeps catching up and I don't know what exactly they're up to these days with their, or what they finally caught up with 2.1 but a big mm-hmm. running joke that I had for a while too is if you ever want to know what's coming to like spark streaming just look at what came out in flinks streaming the last three months Yes. That's okay. what their new roadmap is. Okay. Um, so, so is it like a real rival rivalry? Uh, well, no. There's no. probably some. There's probably some rivalry yeah. feelings. Yeah, uh, rivalry feelings, but it's practically it comes both, down to who's. They're both commercial entities too, so. Yeah, there's always a natural rivalry there between you know distributions if they're. But if no, they're like right. softball games or anything, or no, no like not, scheduling. Not Scheduling FlinkConf the same weekend as SparkConf, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I happen to know that they aren't because Flink San Francisco is coming up on April 10th and 11th, and I am talking there. Oh, and, nice. Um, it's, Good plug. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Real smooth and organic. Um, nice. Flink um, is big in Europe. So there's maybe the first difference in how they all fit together. Flink. They're big started, in Germany. Yeah. Yeah, they started in Germany as opposed to Spark, which started a couple years earlier, or kind of hit the market a couple years earlier in Southern California. Where does the name Flink come from? Is that German? It is. It means Swift in German. Oh, ah, they used to be Stratosphere. It did. Okay. And then they renamed it, and their their logo is a squirrel, and I didn't realize this. It's because Berlin has a special kind of red squirrel all over the place, and so it's named after that guy. I didn't realize that. That's. I mean, the logo is yeah. Yeah, nice. But so Zeppelin, so backtracking, Zeppelin yep. is is a, a stand-in for uh, Python notebooks, uh, for, what's the other one? Jupyter. 
So Jupiter, right, right, right. Yeah. Jupiter being a really nice IDE for Python. Um, Zeppelin's kind of the same idea, except it's a web interface, a, a notebook style interface that was designed for big data products. So it will run. You can and you can have like a notebook. You can have a paragraph that's PySpark, a paragraph that's you know Spark Scala, a paragraph that's Spark SQL. You can have you can have Flink in there. You can have Ignite, Hive queries, and the list goes on and on and on. I can't think of even all at the top of my head. Yeah, it's pretty nice. But the big advantage over a Jupyter notebook is that you can have multiple languages in one notebook, and I think that really is a pretty cool thing. And there's integration with um, Angular JS for your uh, visualization, so you can make some really cool D3JS type charts. So that's my so so. Zeppelin is that was really like cool thing one too. of your first contributions to Mahout was putting a new interpreter in for Mahout. Yeah, and, uh, I, I wrote the wrote the darn thing three times over. Uh, <laughs> that's the way you're supposed to do it. Yep, I. But that's yeah. That was the that was kind of my first foray on the Mahout side was really just cutting code on Zeppelin. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's also a German name, right? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, that, they didn't come out of Germany. So so here's here's my confession. Like my maybe this should be my my name is. Um, my name is Joel and I've been doing data science for a long time and I just cannot get into notebooks. Like somehow they're not, they don't agree with the way I do work. So every time I sit down and try and make like a Jupyter notebook or an IPython notebook, like I start doing it and then I have to rerun cells and, and I hate it and I eventually give up and just go back to IPython command line. So your Python, Python's your main squeeze? Um, at work these days I mostly do Scala, but in my okay. spare time I mostly do Python. So. Um, okay. I would say I'm probably about 50-50 at this point. I'm okay. with you on that. I mean, I I loved Mathematica in school, and I like Sage Math, and I, I do like the notebook situation. But when I'm doing, when I'm writing uh, code in Python, I usually just have a, a an editor up and then a, another window up with uh, the the command to run it, and that's how I usually work. I don't, and I mainly for me the the drawback for notebooks has been the 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 fact that you can't put them into source control because you have all sorts of extra XML elements all over the place. And it's like trying to put a word document under, under source control. So that's been a huge, that's, that's the reason I, I never use them, but plenty of people on the team do. So, so let me tell you one thing that really bugs me about it. And maybe this is idiosyncratic to me is that there's this weird, every notebook has like state in it, right? That's kind of hidden. And so if I go back and like change an earlier cell yeah. and run it, then I have these later cells, which conceptually you feel like should depend on that state. But yeah. if you don't recalculate them, then they have values based on some old state. And yeah. I just, my brain can't keep that all in sync. Yeah, I get that. I, I understand that that problem too. But I also understand the convenience of being able to, you know, work in the same thing that you can run demos out of. So I think there's a there's a place and time and a place and it's a personal choice. I mean, it's, it's okay that Trevor likes notebooks, I think. <laughs> Thank you. So okay with you, maybe. <laughs> well, that's very gracious. And, you know, so for going back to my what is an open source technical evangelist do, that's what I am. I'm an open source technical evangelist. That's how okay. I say it. Open source technical evangelist. It's all demos, you know. So I uh, – and, and, and the Zeppelin especially is great for demos. It makes, it makes looking at code fun. You can put a lot of markdown. You can basically make your slides. I've given most of my talks – if and whenever possible out of Zeppelin for the last, uh, at least I think year or so with a few mm-hmm. exceptions mm-hmm. because it just, yeah, it's a great for, and then when the talk's over, 
you just package up the entire notebook and you say, I don't know, man, go fire up your own Zeppelin instance, import my notebook, and here you have the running code and you can play with it yourself. And that's so, uh, I, so with IPython, there was an issue where there was a huge incompatibility between versions. And if, if somebody on your team sent you a notebook that was built in version two and you had version three, that it just blew up. Um, and I don't remember there being a conversion between them. Is that still the case with Zeppelin? To con I convert from so, IPython to Zeppelin? No, no. Like, it, have they had any breaking changes between versions, or I mean, is, have you noticed that there's any problems with that, or is there? As far as the notebooks go, I want. I don't think so. There was a. If there was, I it maybe it was back in 05, um, and they're like on 08 now. What they will do, and I have like I think three times stayed up for like hours trying to figure out like what the hell went wrong. But when you bump, because, okay, so IPython, or the Python, IPython notebooks run on like a locally on your machine, right? Mm -hmm. You fire up IPython. The way Zeppelin works is you start it as a server and you mm -hmm. log into it via a web interface. So, mm -hmm. um, and if you upgrade Zeppelin, when you log into it, sometimes it'll come up and you can't like, the, like the splash screen at the top will show up, but you can't get any of your notebooks to come up. And you think, oh man, it's all broken. And you try rebuilding it and you go around and around and around and around trying to chase bugs. And really what the problem is, you got to go into your uh, browser history and like clear your app data and your cache. Oh, okay. And that's, um, but that's about the closest thing. So it's. Maybe they should put a button for that. Well, clear, yeah, right. Well, yeah. it wouldn't work because you're, because all it's doing, it's trying to load the old version of a. Uh, no. But yeah. I've never thought of giving my talks out of notebooks it's great i mean you can because you have uh, starting with mathematica and on all the way up you have like a, a you know a, a slide a slide export uh method right so mm -hmm. you can page through look at uh your bullet points and talk through your motivation and then the next slide you can you can run uh run a cell and, and have something you know animated or whatever it's it's pretty nice and Zeppelin has the MathJax integration finally too, which is also kind of, that's another reason yeah. I like, um, I almost use my notebooks as like a, a diary or a journal of things that I've done. So I can like talk about like what the hell I was thinking, show the algorithm, I like the mathematical representation of the algorithm I was trying to do, then actually execute, you know, write the code that's gonna do it. So a lot of times what I'll do, I'll prototype on my notebooks. Um, so I can keep like, like I said, I can document where I was, what I was doing, what I was thinking. And then I'll have like a um, a JetBrains or like IntelliJ open too, and kind of be writing my code in IntelliJ to be like, okay, for my code completion, a lot of copying and pasting back and forth. Yeah. Is, uh, the way I live. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, I get fun. that. Yeah, I mean that's that's the other thing with the notebook thing is like there, the copying and pasting back and forth is is tough for me too. But I get it. Like, were you affected by the S3 outage the other day? No, I'm on IBM Bluemix. Oh yeah. Oh. Okay. oh. <laughs> I think our podcasting website went down. All of my websites went down. Yeah. Yeah. So did, yeah. So did my personal site. Personal site. My wife's business site. Adversariallearning.com. They were all down for uh, multiple all, hours. All due to somebody typing a couple of characters wrong on one command, apparently. <laughs> Which, I mean, do you even, like, really, if two characters can knock off the eastern seaboard, do you really blame the person for typing the two characters wrong? No. Like, that's, that's, no. a, that's a design. No, I mean, to me, this, this personifies that, uh, you know, really misguided mantra, move fast and break things. <laughs> they did it. They, <laughs> they did it. <laughs> they, I, don't, I don't think that's the Amazon mantra. 
No. <laughs> they, have a, they have a bunch of key values. Um, the Amazon 12 key value, which I don't know what they oh, are. I thought you made like, do they yeah, store them? Yeah, that's key value store. <laughs> on, on Twitter, a couple weeks ago, I, I made fun of, uh, what happened? Someone, someone linked me to a job that they were interested in, and I went to the site, and on the site that listed the job, they're like, here are you know five key values at this company. And the key values are like, be innovative and think about the customer. And they're like, really, really like saccharine, useless stuff. Um, and I have strong feelings about this because I worked at a startup once where we went through all these uh, painful culture setting exercises and we had to think up our key values and we came up with like, move fast and be inquisitive. And uh, we didn't use them for anything other than like, we put them on a coffee mug and that was it. Yeah. Um, but but when I made fun of that, a lot of people responded to me and said, "Hey, you know what? At Amazon, they take those values seriously, and they actually use them to make decisions and things like that." So that's kind of it's kind of impressive because I've never heard of anywhere else that will actually say we can't do that. That's against our key value. Or well, yeah, they have. I'm not sure of the other ones, but one of them is you know focus on the customer. And at a lot of places, of course, that's that's just nice words. But um, I've had friends who work there, and you can shut a whole conversation down by saying this is a bad customer experience and all of a sudden the focus is on really why show us you know and let's figure it out so they yeah they take them seriously well, i'm gonna try that because i know so i know some irritating people who work at amazon and i've been looking for ways to shut them down <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess the the mantra the customer the, the, the customer experience is bad is not that important to twitter so that's that's sort of a different viewpoint <laughs> yeah I, I, i'm not sure twitter has a mantra no. What are you going to do? No. Build your own yeah. tweet engine that is unprofitable? <laughs> what's, yeah, right. What's, what's, what's the threat? <laughs> Move slow and break stuff. <laughs> but the, um, <laughs> You're going to dig into their hundreds of dollars in ad revenue? <laughs> yeah, yeah, any change that they would make that a lot of people are asking for would just affect their bottom line. It's funny. Last, last week we were talking about how um, I was going to look at my promoted tweets and like reach out to those people and see if they want yeah. to advertise on the podcast. So I turned off my ad blocker on Twitter, um, but none of them are useful. It's like Buffalo Wild Wings. Like, the, you know, they, Buffalo Wild Wings is not going to want to advertise on our podcast. Well, uh, funny story. Yeah, it's like we, after we talked about it, I, I had a promoted tweet from Hired Incorporated and I asked them if they wanted to advertise on the podcast and I didn't get a response. But then I also saw like Amex and United and um, I asked them the same question and Twitter wouldn't let me ask the question. They said, you've I, already asked this question. You've already posted this, this tweet. And I'm like, no, it's different. But they apparently they have a different rule for, for promoted things that you can only say one thing one time. Well, and, I mean, here's I was thinking about that, too. I didn't try it. But, you know, your Twitter and some of your users are trying to, in essence, post your advertisers, right? You're not going to stand for that. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I feel like, you know, there's room for partnerships. I don't know. I think that's that's small-minded. I mean, there is, but if they, you know, they pay 10 bucks to sponsor our podcast and that's 10 bucks they don't give to Twitter, then we just cost Twitter 10 bucks. Uh, maybe. I don't know if the cannibalization is direct, though. I mean, I don't know if Twitter, like, keeps track of the revenue, but... Uh... <laughs> I feel like we're on a list. I think we're on a list. We're on a lot of lists. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, we're... Definitely on the list of people who've gone crazy since the election. Are, are, are you are you a big Twitter person, Trevor? I looked at your Twitter; it didn't have that many tweets on it. But sometimes people are passive uh, consumers of Twitter content. I not really. I have self promotion. I'm up to about 94 followers, and I am not killing it in the Twitter game. 
but well, but it's it's about quality, right? I, I got good reach. I feel like some important people who have lots of followers <laughs> rebroadcast me. Who, so. who are your mo- who are the most important people who like pay attention to what you have to say? <clears throat> Probably Andrew. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, well, that's, are you guys following me yet? Uh, <laughs> over. I'm not. I only peed to your Twitter this morning. Maybe Andrew does. Let's see. Um, I do. I yeah, Andrew and uh, really well. So I write blogs about the different Apache projects, uh, Flink and Zeppelin and Mahout, and then that's usually an easy way to get them to rebroadcast whatever it is about my blog. And they lots of people follow them. So we got we got we got a, a tweet from Cloudera yesterday oh. last week. That's what you should ask to advertise. That's a good point. Yeah, our guest was an employee of Cloudera, so they retweeted our our sort of semi snarky uh, title and everything. It was yeah. The the episode was like telling a bot to fuck off or something, and they they retweeted it. So it's great. <laughs> Way to good. stay on brand. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe this goes back a little bit to the uh, you know the improv slash stand up comedy divide we were talking about earlier. You know, I. As someone who has this stand-up comedy mindset, I sit there and I kind of workshop my tweets and polish them over and over again. And then as soon as they're crafted perfectly, I send them out, but not you know a moment before. So I can see how like if you have the more improv mindset, that Twitter is maybe not the best uh, the best venue for just throwing random shit out there. I yeah. tried to tweet late at night because on a normal basis I will tweet something, realize I had three spelling errors, delete it. Tweet something, tweet it again. Oh, I think. Delete it. Yeah, and it takes about four or five like actual tweets. I could never be a professional politician for that reason. Like I've, I've got nothing but sympathy when they like tweet like bonehead spelling mistakes. I'm like I'm not I'm not better than them. I'm not going to pretend like I no, am. But, <laughs> but that, that that's the that's the trick, right? Uh, there's a there's a joke about this where um, you know someone sends a, a nasty tweet to a liberal person. Why oh you are going to the death camps or something? And then the liberal like retweets it and says says lol you apostrophe re like how dumb is this person they didn't even know which your to use um, <laughs> that's good political so discourse there's a, lot, there, there's a there's a lot that you can well but i mean one could argue that uh this is part of what trump does as well right he will put like tiny typos or mistakes in his tweets and then people get so fixated on those oh my god i can't believe like he doesn't know how to spell this word and then they kind of like Forget to criticize him on the content. <laughs> yeah, he comes at you from multiple... Lots of different levels. directions. <laughs> one, two. That's moving in a crazy idea. High-dimensional trolling. I actually... <laughs> so it's, a true it's master funny. of the game. I, I, I learned this trick years ago. Uh, I used to watch all the Sunday morning shows pretty uh, religiously, way, way back in the day. Meet the Press and CBS, yeah. all those. Um, yeah. And there were some you know, officer involved shooting somewhere Ohio or something. And so as the guest, they had like the, the police union head who was just like some like random good old boy. Um, and they had Kwesi Mfume, who at the time was the director of the NAACP. Um, and every exchange they had, the good old boy police union would, it had to be deliberate, but he would like butcher the other guy's name. He'd say, well, yeah, what, what Mr. Mofomo over there does. And the guy would be like, my name is Infume. And so like he completely failed to respond to any of his arguments on the market. So he was so angry about his name being mispronounced. Uh, That's awesome. I know. I, I learned a valuable lesson that, that morning. Well, I have, I have heard people say that they use that as a power move to mispronounce or say the wrong name. That's that's something I've heard other places. Oh, wrong. Yeah. I just I just can't I just can't remember people's names. 
That's my right. problem. I've, I've heard that's a power move too. Yeah. Is uh, it okay? So, so I so that means am I dominating the the preschool uh, playground, picking up my kid because I'm like, what's what's uh, what's Hannah's mom's name again? Yeah. <laughs> Just crushing it. Yep. My, you got so my my kid got that gene too. She went last week. Uh, school's out, so she went to this uh, math camp for little girls, and she came home, and I was like, you know, did you, did you make a friend? She's like, yeah, I made a friend today, and I was like, okay, well, what's your friend's name? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> doesn't matter yeah that wasn't important i'll point her i'll point her out to you tomorrow okay <laughs> that's good so it so if, you, if you're not that big on twitter how do you stay on top of all the you know politics related craziness i don't i don't oh, care wow. it's all garbage <laughs> what what's it like living in you know 2015 america <laughs> i'm i'm I, I, I think I buried my head closer to about 2009. This is this is old hat for me. I know there's a lot of people just coming to this. I'm not paying attention anymore, game. But I've yeah. had it locked down for since about the second year of the Obama administration. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, do you know who's president? <laughs> um, reality TV star. Yeah. I don't remember yeah. his name. Yeah. Power yeah. move. <laughs> that must make you uh, really productive, actually. Like, I how much of my great. time do I do I waste on? Uh, Figuring out uh, what some jerks on Twitter are saying. I reallocated it to watching Voltron while I'm oh, supposed okay. to be working. It's been a new thing. <laughs> Catching up on all my Voltron. It's a win-win. It is. It's a win-win-win. Like the the old ones from the 80s? Oh, or? Yeah. Defend, Defender yeah. of the Galaxy. Those are good. Oh, yeah, it is. It's, uh, when I was in, like, seventh grade, my friend had that whole set, and he could, like, fold the lions and assemble them and stuff, and then he lost a piece, and then it was useless. Oh. <laughs> Just like real life. Just <laughs> like real life. Same thing with the Constructicons. They, they were the transformers that turned into like dump trucks and shit. And then you could, oh, again, yeah. if you had the pieces, you could assemble them into like a giant um, trash robot or something until you lost the piece. So what, was there was there a competing cartoon called GoBots? Yeah. That okay. sounds familiar, yeah. I had a GoBot dump truck toy. <laughs> but I never knew if it was the show or just the toys. The, the, see... That was that was the point in time where there was no like dividing line. The shows were the toys, and the toys were the shows, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like we're going to introduce a line of dinosaur toys, so therefore write us an episode about dinosaurs, mm-hmm. yep. and vice versa. Yeah, Dino Riders. That was exactly they Dino Riders. They launched a toy line, and then they're like, "Ooh, you know what's a good marketing would be Saturday morning kids cartoon," and out came the Dino Riders. Made it about a half a season. That's sort of how, how the monkeys, the band, came about, right? They made a TV show, and then they're like, "We need an actual band." <laughs> it's just cross cross marketing, as old as time itself. Didn't they say that uh, Charles Manson applied to be one of the monkeys? Oh my God, I don't know. He was into the music scene, right? He was friends with the Beach Boys, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, what a different <laughs> world we could live in. Uh, not I mean, you got he failed out of the monkeys and so like I think I'll just go be very evil instead. Yeah, and why not? Off he went. Yeah. Donald Trump probably did too. You never know. Yeah, he plays his cards pretty close to his vest. <laughs> so did you? Uh, the the Snapchat IPO was today when we're recording this. Either of you guys uh, get oh. any shares of that? No, I no, can't believe anybody money. gives them money. What what would what did it what did it what what are the numbers? It, I think it was like way higher than what they priced it at. Same as always, really? right? Damn. Well, I thought that was the big joke that they like bid up. Somebody bid up the wrong stock, like the Snapchat IPO, but then they like 
and bid up like Snap LLC or something. Let me see if oh, I can boy. find it. Really? But they yeah. renamed themselves Snap so that because they wanted to like say we're not just about chat, we're about right. various other kinds uh, of snaps as well. Glasses, yeah. The I tried Snapchat with some friends, and it's one of the. I mean, I know it's because I'm old, but the the usability is just as as scatterbrained. I can't. I couldn't figure it out, and it like it's amusing for a little bit, but I I don't get it. Yeah, I uh, I interviewed for a job there. Uh, about a year ago, actually, and that I installed the app so that I could say I had it installed when I interviewed, um, and I played with it a bit, and somehow it was lost on me. But I think it's more um, it's more aimed at people who are into communicating with other people, mm-hmm. uh, which is not me. So or it's called spade a spade. It's for sending dirty pictures back and forth. <laughs> yeah, if you, I mean, if you, you have other other ways to do that, then you don't need Snap. Yep. So my kid, I may have mentioned this on a previous episode, um, but my daughter is five um, and she has an iPad. And I installed this little like whitelisted messaging app where she can like make little picture messages and send them to her friends back and forth. And I, I kind of gave it to her so that like during the day, she and I could send messages back and forth at school, from school and work and whatever. But she got her friends on there too. Um, and so her friends are like these little, you know, like six-year-old girls. And they send each other all these messages that are like, hi, BFF, hi, BFF. And it's like a picture of my ice cream cone. Um, and, and, my, and my poor kid, she takes after me in like so many ways. Um, uh, and so I'm trying to like encourage her to, you know, like build these relationships and build these friendships with these kids. Um, it's not something that I'm good at, but I'm trying to encourage her to be good at it. Um, and I was like, you know, your, your friend sent you a message. Why don't you respond to it? She's like, all those messages ever say is like, hi, BFF. What am I even supposed to respond to that? Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> you, know, like, my... a... you taught her well. Oh, no, I'm like, I understand where you're coming from, but, like, don't be like me. Just, like, <laughs> rush on and say hi, BFF. Like, I, I know it's, like, not meaningful or anything, but, like, that's what normal people like. So do it. <laughs> Is that what uh, what caused you to wonder what at what age it's appropriate to teach your kid about normies? <laughs> yeah, it, that's, ex- that's, exactly, that's exactly what inspired that tweet. Yeah. <laughs> I love that one. Uh yeah, my daughter has also just turned five, and uh, and she loves emoji, and so she loves sending like I can't, I don't even know the number, but it's probably like two hundred to five hundred emojis at a setting, uh, to whoever's on the other end, whether it's grandma or me or mama uh, or Aunt Becca, and it's like <laughs> it's kind of wild, just like sitting here sitting watching her like poke through and find stuff, and then um, after after a session of that, my recently used is definitely different. It has a different flavor to it. A lot less guns and needles and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still got the poop emoji right it's in the first place. Mode. That's her favorite one. Of course. And then, of course, when we see those pillows out in, in the wild, I'm like, hey, Addie, look, look. And she gets a good kick out of it. I know. I, I, we see those at the mall, and Madeline also, she gets really excited. She's like, oh, it's like the poop on the computer. I was like, that's yeah, right. That's just right. like it. She's like, can I get it? No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of communication, uh, yesterday morning over breakfast, I uh, put Addie on the ham radio to say hi to the, uh, everybody on the on the ham radio for the first time. So she got to say hello, talk about what she's doing, and they said hi back, and, and she got a kick out of that. So I recommend it. Did she learn all the, like, Kilo, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie stuff? Not yet. She there's she doesn't have to. Um, so, uh, no, she could just, you, you just say third-party traffic coming from, and then whoever is next to you can say whatever they want and then you sign off with your call sign. She talked to like astronauts or just like regular weirdos? 
Not yet. Just regular weirdos uh, <laughs> who are within the Puget Sound area. But we're going we're gonna to talk to the ISS at, at some point soon, I hope. And with that, I don't know if we have any more topics. You got yeah, anything, and, and, anything you want to pitch? Anything you want to ask us about? Anything you want to know about podcasting? Um, anything you want to know we, about Flink? We, we like to live. We leave leave some time at the end for you to ask questions, just like a job interview. Yeah. Well, to, to be entirely candid, I didn't. I, I I was not prepared for this uh, interview, so that that one's kind of on me. But no, we'll get. Well, I'll we'll give our <laughs> feedback to HR, and you should yeah. hear back soon. <laughs> yeah, I'll get a the form letter. Um, <laughs> I had a friend one time. Uh, it was some girl who I tutored in school, and then she was coming up, and I set her up with my buddy for like an interview at his company. And she comes out of the interview and she texts me, "Hey, I think it went really well." By the time she got the elevator out of the first floor, she had like a form, you know, a boilerplate like. Sorry, not interested. Letter. <laughs> Jesus, what did you do to them? That's that's very fast. Because like wow. her first interview, like is like a, a big kid job. Yeah. So I shoot that message over to my friend. Like, did she like pee on the desk? Like, how do you get one that fast? You guys just very efficient. Well, he gets to looking into it because um, he's curious too. Like, that's very fast. Yeah. And they told her. Um, oh. The HR person ran into somebody after they were interviewing with her, and he's like, you know, I like her. I'm kind of leaning toward the other person. Uh, we'll see how she goes. And the HR just went back to her computer and, like, put in denied in the computer. Just that was it. Damn. So I tell my buddy, and he's furious about this. And I guess um, – so he's, like, kind of like, no, you know, like, that that was a mistake, blah, blah, blah. And he's, like, trying to get him to do whatever. And he's telling his buddy – and are you telling some people about that? Like three other people in the company, are like, oh yeah, that totally happened to me when I started working here. Damn, really? Same yeah. buddy when he started working there, they sent him the wrong offer letter. They sent him the offer letter to someone else. The same <sighs> HR person has persisted through this entire thing. Awesome. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's so some people are really bad at their jobs. That's the moral of the story. I don't know. Hopefully, some people are just bad at interviewing. But one of the weirdest I've ever heard of was. Uh, where somebody came in and she was interviewing and she, uh, she, she, you know, she seemed like maybe she was a little not all there. She proceeded to change her shoes and socks in the office. That's um, awesome. Uh-huh. That's a power I mean, move. That's a power <laughs> move. <laughs> it is a power move. Uh, it's some kind of power. It's some kind of superpower. Uh, she also was talking about how she had a really crazy weekend and a really crazy night and, how they were out on the porch and she was roller skating on the porch and she fell and so she had a sore butt and so like of course this story just got retold throughout the company um but that's that's one of the wackiest ones i've ever never had a really uh fun interview i had another one where I, another one where the guy came in with a phd in data mining supposedly and you know i i was asking i at one point i was like so how how are you with linear algebra and he said oh that's too basic and I said, oh, okay. oh, excuse me? He says, too basic. I'm like, I said, yeah, what What do you mean? Like, and he's like, that's anything, something any high school student could do. And I'm like, all right, well, so could you tell me how to factor a matrix then? He's like, that's too basic. And like, again, like, really? Or, and, it, and he started yelling at me and he started saying, I've had three interviews. This is not the way you should treat people. And I'm like, hey, buddy, like, this is, this is part of the job is what, it's a typical thing that we would encounter. And he's like, well, I'm not, you know, it's just, it's still too easy. And I'm like, okay, well, have you ever heard of alternating least squares? And he's like, yes. And I said, okay, can you explain how it works? And he said, 
then he hung up (laughs) (laughs) halfway through and i was like and i tried calling back and i didn't get any oh no no i hung on the bridge for five minutes and he never called back and i just was like i was doing it for a favor for another group and i said this is what happened they were like okay we'll close him out (laughs) but i mean i think this interview went well trevor Thanks. Do you think I have, uh, a, I have a good feeling about it? All right. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to circle back with everybody, but we'll we'll be in touch. Uh, you know, within a few days. Yeah, but it, last minute, any last minute stuff? You said you're talking to Flink Forward in April in San Francisco. Yeah, uh, okay. random plugs I'll throw out. Then doing a Flink Forward talk in San Francisco. It's going to be on online algorithms, and um, it was talking about how a lot of people call streaming mini batch algorithms online and how that's not really right. And then I saw like, there's three other people talking about online algorithms mm. and then they talk about like, they're doing streaming mini batch. So my, my <laughs> abstract sticks out of like, just straight up calling out a couple yeah. of the other abstracts. So I was, I was pretty proud of that. That's um, a good position. Check out the Flink Forward website. Move. If nothing else, yeah. it was a good power move. Um, and uh, veterans and big data. So I was, uh, I, I was a veteran, I was a medic in the cavalry in Afghanistan back oh. in 09. Uh, me and a couple other guys in Chicago, we just kind of ended up coagulating. We're all big data folks. So we're starting a group. If you're in the Chicago area and a veteran or know a veteran who is in big data or wants to get into big data, seek mm-hmm. us out. It's kind of a mentorship thing. Like we help each other out, we mentor people. If you're a veteran in some other city and you want to start a chapter uh, cool. for a very small licensing fee, we're happy to get you going. <laughs> <laughs> Franchising rights, et cetera, et cetera. Awesome. Okay. Um, we have a we have an image we stole off of Google that we will let you pay <laughs> us for usage. Uh, so that's uh, yeah. Those are my those are my two big plugs. Check out my blog. Um, I What's your blog? Things. Uh, rockintrevo.org is I think the domain I'm going with. R a w k i n t r e v o dot org. And that's your that's your Twitter Twitter handle. But apparently, it is, it is my. Uh, I, I had uh, oh, it's not. Would you guys well, send no, me Twitter messages? <laughs> no, I just just because you said you don't spend much time on there. Oh, I pop. Well, I pop in every. I mean, I'm addicted to social media, so I'll pop in about two or three times a week just to see if I got any retweets or new followers. Well, two or three times a week. That is that is addictive. That's. <laughs> they say they say uh, admitting you have a problem is the first step, buddy. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Uh, well, thanks for awesome. thanks for the time. It's been yeah. uh, been nice catching up, um, and we'll uh, we'll be putting this on and. Uh, promoting it so thanks a lot you You can call me and kind of thing got it (laughs) (laughs) thanks guys all right all right joel here thanks again for listening your usual reminders adversariallearning.com is the website adversarial underscore l is our twitter feed at j-o-e-l-g-r-u-s that's my twitter feed at a-k-m that's andrew's twitter feed uh and if you want to drop us a mail adversarial.learning.podcast at gmail.com and if you want to write us a review uh, go wherever people write podcast reviews iTunes or I actually don't know where people write podcast reviews and I'm not going to read them because I don't read reviews I don't like them if you write me an email I'll read it but if you write a review somewhere I won't read it So, uh, but maybe other people will um, and yeah hope you've enjoyed the episode uh, we'll have another one for you soon we seem to be getting into a rhythm here And uh, I'll play you out with some music.